Welcome to Kohler Mania. Thank you for joining us today. We are excited to have you. I am Tanya. And I'm Michael. And we're going to continue down our mini series of the Beatitudes. We have been going through all the Beatitudes. If you've not caught up, please catch up and listen to those because they are so encouraging to spur us to seek after Jesus. So before we get started, Michael, do you want to give us a summary of the Beatitudes? <laughs> yes, these should be our attitudes that reflect God's character. What are these attitudes that we should have? Being poor in spirit. In other words, poor in worldly pursuit, but rich in heavenly pursuits. We should mourn and empathize with each other. We should be meek and gentle, nice and humble and serving others. We should hunger and thirst for righteousness, being merciful, forgiving, and compassionate for those who are suffering and providing healing. Those are the attitudes that we should have very strongly to, in order to reflect God's character. Yeah. So we're going to look at Matthew 5, 8 now, which is, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Wow. Okay. Let's just back up a little bit. What does pure in heart truly mean? How can any one of us have a pure heart but Jesus? This beatitude seems like one of the hardest ones to follow, but Jesus wanted his followers to be pure in heart. The word pure in Greek is kataros, which is broken out into three parts according to a blue letter Bible. It's to be physically clean, clean in a Levitical sense, and to be ethically clean. I was amazed when I looked at the word pure because I found uh, many of the English root words with kat, which came from katros and several examples I found um, looking and digging deeper into that, which is used to insert into the body to remove any impurities, mostly through urethia or to remove urine before causing an infection. So it's really neat because it's like you get a catheter when you're going to the doctor uh, for something that you have to either have an operation for or something that um, requires you to be clean. So when we look at heart in this passage, the heart in Greek is cardia, which most of us are familiar with cardia, anything to do with the heart. So it just gives us a great perspective on what that means. It's really the root of the heart and it's the center and the seat of the spiritual life. As um, one of the commentaries mentioned that the soul or mind in its fountain and seat of the thoughts, its passions, its desires, appetite, affections, purpose, um, to understand of the will and the character of the soul so far that it affects and stirs in a bad way or good. So the heart really is essential to our spiritual life. Yes. In order to see God, you have to be pure in heart. What is pure in heart? Moral uprightness. You have to be perfect in order to see God. In order to come in the presence of a perfect God, you have to be perfect yourself. But how can that be? How is any of us perfect? No, no, no one is righteous. No, not one. The Bible says our, our righteousness is like filthy rags. 
in order to be pure in heart and morally upright and perfect in order to come into the presence of God and live with him forever in heaven, we must be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And that happens from believing in Jesus and accepting and receiving that free gift of salvation. And then we are wiped clean of our sinfulness. So then in Jesus's eyes, we are sanctified. We are made holy. We are Righteous. I love how it's put in in 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But now you are washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of of our God. See, we are washed clean of all our sins, whether they're really bad as those listed here or really small. Any little sin separates us from a holy God forever, but for the blood of Jesus and him dying on the cross to wash away our sins once and for all. Yes. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. I love everything that you said about seeing God. Jesus is so perfect that he made this beatitude to follow after being merciful. I keep saying this in every podcast that is just perfectly aligned in the sequence of how the beatitudes are listed. I truly believe that this is where we depend on the Lord to truly dig deeper into the purity and into the heart to understand those who shall see God. It's beautiful. I want to see God. I'm sure everybody else wants to see God as well. And I love how God spoke to Samuel as he was looking for the next King David, but was looking at the outer appearance. And it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outer appearance, but the Lord looks onto the heart. Also, if we look at it, the heart is the innermost part of our soul where our affections, our intentions, our understandings, our thoughts, our desires, our purpose, and much is stored deep down in there. Apart from God, the heart is sick and easily goes astray. Just like Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Only the Lord can see what's in our hearts. We are vulnerable without the Lord. And we can also be vulnerable when walking in pride. Jesus clearly said, Again, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. This is intended for the believer to be cleansed or unsoiled in heart. And we talked about those words, pure and catharos, to clean. We have to clean our heart looking at the Lord. And like what you were saying, Michael, is like, there's no one righteous, not one And because of the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are covered, that we are now cleansed, that we are looked at as justified and we are redeemed and we're glorified by God. And it's just amazing that we have this opportunity and that our hearts must be cleansed as well by constantly surrendering. It's a battle of the flesh constantly. There's a spiritual war But we come before the living God and we ask him, look in our hearts, Lord, help us, Lord, help us to be cleansed before you. 
I like how you focused on the heart because it's blessed are the pure in heart. This is not just on the outside, just like when we're raising our children. We don't want them obeying us just because we're forcing them to. We want them to have a heart to obey us because they love us. Just like God says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments because we just have a heart for wanting to follow him. And Jesus criticized the Pharisees who were very pure on the outside. Everybody saw them as being the pinnacle of holiness, but he said on the inside, you guys are just rotten. You're like whitewashed tombs who look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You don't have any mercy. You're mean and you're cold with people, even though you're checking off holy boxes and doing things, keeping all the commandments perfectly uh, for a show for everybody on the outside, we are to be pure in heart. And this is, in Jesus's eyes, this is immediate. The second we become a believer, we are sanctified, we're made holy and righteous. But theologians also talk about a concept called progressive sanctification. From our standpoint of discipleship, we grow in our relationship with the Lord and we grow in our ability to follow his ways. We don't necessarily have to clean up our behavior all at once when we come to Jesus. We come as we are and then we start the discipleship process where we learn more about his ways, we follow his ways. And sometimes that means giving up some friendships. It means sometimes giving up some old habits because we have that pure in heart motive to follow God with all our heart, soul, and mind. But we still have to have a process of getting rid of some old habits that sometimes can be hard to break. And this is what theologians call progressive sanctification. And this is where the family also sanctifies one another. As we see in 1 Corinthians 7, 13 through 14, as spouses sanctify each other and even their children. This is the process of discipleship as we are discipling one another in the family and encouraging one another to follow God's ways and talking about his ways as we sit in the home and family Bible study times and we speak about God as we go in the moment. We're posting scripture everywhere. We are discipling one another. We are sanctifying one another. In 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4, it talks about even if you have a spouse that is unbelieving, an unbelieving husband is like, don't divorce that unbelieving husband. You can win over that unbelieving husband by your godly example with your gentle and quiet spirit and just reflecting God's character and being pure in heart is contagious. It should be contagious. And when we're living with others that are pure in heart, they are in that sanctification. They are wholly sanctified by God completely in his eyes, but they are continuing that sanctification process in our eyes as we are discipling one another and we're modeling that for one another, even for an unbelieving spouse. And we can win them over with our gentle and quiet spirit. Those attitudes that we are learning about in the B attitudes. These should be our attitudes. And one of the best ones is just to have that pure in heart, taking on the heart of Jesus and having him purify our hearts so that we are pure and can be in the presence of a holy God. And then out of gratitude for that, we start the sanctification discipleship process where we're just trying to follow God's ways with all our heart and clean up old habits, which sometimes is a process. Yeah, that's absolutely on point. And I love what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 15 through 19. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, 
I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glory, inheritance in the saints, and what is the measurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. That is powerful. He's looking at our heart. And another thing I want to mention is to kind of think about these things is, you know, how do we walk faithfully in this amazing blessing that Jesus spoke? Blessed are the pure in heart. How do we walk in that? How do we cleanse our hearts from impurities that corrupt our thoughts and enhance our flesh to be more in control? How do we do that? How do we become that meek or war horse believer that is practicing a Holy Spirit self-control? There is uh, so much here that Jesus has given us to really ponder as believers. And it's a growing thing. It's a daily surrender of self, right? In every single sequence of what Jesus said in the Beatitudes on the mountains, I can't even imagine the crowd. They probably had their mouth open. Like, how are we supposed to do all this, Lord? This is so much. Like, this is a lot. How do we do this? And obviously he knew. Jesus knew that we could do this only with his help. And I love the sequence. Again, I keep saying it over and over, but blessed are the poor in spirit. We have to be poor in spirit to desire God, to desire his will. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek or that war horse, that self-control ready for battle, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness after God. Blessed are the merciful and blessed are the pure in heart. It's just absolutely one after the other built upon the other. And so this is just an amazing beatitude, one that it's almost like Lord put me on in the operating room and start performing surgery on my heart because I want what Jesus wants. And that's where we need to be. We need to be in a desperate state of desiring God's will in our life and to look more like Jesus. Yes, I'm reminded of a, a book called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas, whose main premise was, what if God made marriage not simply to make us happy, but to make us holy? Again, that progressive sanctification process. If there's anything that can make us more like Jesus, it is to be the family where the rubber meets the road and we're interacting with each other on a daily basis, living with one another can't hide all our faults in that situation. And there's where we let our guard down and we start treating people with what's really in our heart and what's when our heart comes out more. And we have to learn to serve somebody, even if they're not being very lovable at the time and loving somebody who's not being very lovable and respecting somebody who's not being very respectable. That's when it's hard to reflect God's character. And that's where God uses marriage and the family relationship as a crucible in order to grind all that ungodliness out of us so that we can become progressively more sanctified, as the theologians say, to kind of reflect the verse in 2 Corinthians 
3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. We are to be continuously transformed from one glory to another glory to another until when we're looking in a mirror, we are seeing the reflection of Jesus himself. We'll never achieve that until we are in heaven completely, but in the Lord's eyes, we are sanctified the second we become a believer and we reflect his image in that moment. And then out of gratitude for that, we continuously try to follow his ways and disciples and continue to grow in our relationship with him and our ability to follow his ways and continue to be transformed from one glory to another. Not where I want to be, but thank goodness I'm not where I used to be as, as the preachers keep telling us. And the family, especially in our relationships, is what really helps us if we use it as such as a way to really get us closer and closer and transformed from glory to glory to be more and more reflecting God's image. Yes, I love that. And I, I quickly want to point out just a couple warnings too regarding our hearts because we may have impurities in our hearts. And so I just want to call this out as a couple things to think about, you know, uh, the type of hearts we want to be aware of and pray that God protects us from our own sins and just being attentive to the spirit and repenting as our hearts can stray away when we begin to control our own lives. Prideful hearts, haunty, it's very important to do that. There's great examples in the Bible. Several kings come to mind that were very prideful in their hearts and strayed away from God. Uzzah and Asa, they strayed away from God. They did great things. They had pure hearts, but then pride gets in. So prideful hearts, hardened hearts. We have to make sure that we look at that as well. Hardened hearts can happen over time with unresolved hurts. And so we need to bring those to the Lord. Isaiah 6.10 says, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So we really got to make sure we do not have hardened hearts and also an unbelieving heart. Protect us, Lord, from unbelief and to be in a deeper relationship. The writer of Hebrews uh, says in 3.12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. We have to be careful with our unbelief. We have to be careful and surrender those things to the Lord. And the last point regarding hardened hearts is the wicked heart. We see today, you know, there's a lot of things happening that are wicked. And Titus says, to be pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their conscience are defiled. Titus 1.15. So we have to remember to have a humble heart, which we've talked about a tender heart, being patient and kind and loving, right? Like First Corinthians 13 talks about a believing heart. Uh, remember when the father cried out to Jesus and said, and if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes immediately. The father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief from Mark 9, 23. And an honest heart. We want an honest heart. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach 
me wisdom in the secret heart, Psalm 51, 6. So just keeping those things in mind are really important as we have been looking at blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And I hope you continue to follow along as we talk through the rest of the Beatitudes. We're just so honored to be able to speak God's word and be able to teach that and in hopes that you'll take that into your heart and allow God to work in you to look more like him. So with that said, this ends our podcast. And until next time, God bless.